We have an incredibly good-looking man who's going to be speaking with us. Yeah. Anyway, I'd like to inter- uh, introduce my husband, John. There we go. Thank you, Sarah. Charles never says that about me when he introduces me. Hey, it's good to be with you today. Appreciate- How are you guys doing? Beautiful weekend, right? Beautiful day. So nice. So this is uh, always, it's always lovely to have a chance to speak with you fine people. Thank you in advance for paying attention to me. This is, this is the first day I've gotten to speak up here in our new swanky uh, 13th floor digs. It's kind of, kind of fun to be in the new space. And, you know, I was thinking maybe I'd say a few words about this move that we've done to be up here on the 13th floor. I thought I'd say a couple things about it. It's been a lot of work, I'll be honest with you. It's a tremendous amount of effort to change locations from up here, uh, from the second floor, the auditorium where we were for, you know, a couple of years. I think today would be our fourth Sunday up here on the 13th floor, and so it takes a lot of energy, but yay for our teams, yay for people who are putting a lot of time and energy into to making this um, happen. You know, it's kind of upended our routines, and it's, it's never easy in some ways to have change, even when it's good. Um, and there were, there were some aspects about the second floor that, I, you know, were okay. I kind of liked, actually. We've chosen to give those up. You know, I remember when I very first walked into the second floor and seeing those fixed desks and thinking, oh, no, those, that's weird. I don't. And then, but it didn't take long before you realized, hey, place for my coffee. I can take notes. I can put my stuff here. You know, it's like there were some upsides to having that. It was kind of, you know, and it certainly was an easier place to set up, that's for sure. And so I thought, you know, maybe I would remind myself and ourselves why we made the move up here. And I, th- I actually think this, this uh, shift that we're in the middle of by coming up here to the 13th floor is important in the life of our church. And I'll tell you why. I mean, first off, you should know that the staff and the board and the leadership team, we pondered this move for quite a while and deliberated and counted the cost and all that. And there were a few different reasons we thought it would be worth the extra uh, extra effort to uh, shift things up here to the 13th floor. Certainly, uh, the most obvious is it's so nice to have bright lights and see outside and have this great view, right? I love it. It's like speaking up here is really fun because I get to look uptown. And you can have your treats and take communion and have a view uptown, and it's quite a lovely thing. Those are, those are all great to have uh, a brighter space, a more open space. It doesn't hurt either to have more bathrooms that are in better shape. Yay for toilets. You know, those, that, that matters. And uh, it's, it's definitely uh, a nice, nice part of it. But you know what? There's more to it than that. There's more to this move, this shift that we're making than just that. Moving out of the second floor was one of the very first recommendations um, that we got from our consultant and our friend and advisor who's helping us uh, develop this upcoming outreach campaign that we're going to be doing. And from the surveys and the focus groups, the stuff that a lot of you guys were a part of, it, it became pretty clear that the majority of river rights weren't really big fans of the second floor auditorium space. It was a time for a change, and we could see that. Um, from people's responses. So that was part of it. But there was more than that. It was more than just that. This guy uh, suggested that maybe we had grown used to the space and kind of had forgotten what it felt like for first-time people to walk into that room. And uh, maybe we were comfortable there, but we kind of stopped noticing, um, you know, truthfully, how kind of dingy that room was. Uh, You know, we had the big 
giant flag and we had a quilt over here and we had posters and there wasn't much light in there and you know there were there were some things that we kind of stopped noticing I'll tell you what I didn't stop noticing was what it was like to enter that auditorium remember it was a very narrow entrance and you had to walk by people sitting down and you would hope that they wouldn't swing out their bucket while you're trying to get, get by and then you would as you walked in the room you'd realize oh two-thirds of everybody in the room is can see me enter the room including the preacher, you know. It was just kind of a slightly strange dynamic. Now, you know, I'm comfortable. It didn't really bother me that much. Uh, But it wasn't exactly, uh, you know, easy entrance into the room. Most of us didn't mind. Um, But I could start to see that maybe if someone were new to the river, those could be, uh, you know, a little little bit of a challenge, the entrance, the feel of the room. And I do suspect that in the coming months, we're going to see a lot of new faces around here at the river. Uh, That's almost certainly going to happen. And so another reason for this relocation has been about creating a better experience for people who will be finding their way to us in the future. But there's even more to it than just that, I really believe, as I was thinking about this. You know, we've shifted locations up here to the 13th floor, and it is about creating space. But it's, I think it's actually ultimately about creating space in here, in our own lives, our own hearts. I really believe that. It's really about creating space for those of us who are here now. Um, you know, we've broken up our Sunday routine, if you've been around with, for a while. We've kind of upended that. We've had to tweak our expectations a little bit about how it feels. We were putting out some additional effort. We're adjusting to something new. Uh, we're, and some of us, we're even putting ourselves through a little bit of discomfort to make these changes. But you know, the thing about that stuff is that it tends to open you up in a way, if you let it. You know, when you kind of break out of a routine, you try something different, it has the opportunity to kind of do something inside of you that positions you a little bit differently than previously. It's a chance to experience something new. I think we have that chance, both individually and as a community, to begin to open things up in a little way that I think are going to be really helpful. It kind of, it could, I even go so far as to say it helps us to be more open, more receptive to even maybe what God's going to do if we take advantage of it. And I think that's an important thing to do. So, yes, there are some practical benefits to having this bright new space. Um, yes, we retire the limitations of downstairs. Yes, it's going to be better for people who are checking out our church in the future, better welcoming space. That's good. But I think even more fundamentally, I'm pitching, that it's about creating something inside of us, some willingness to grow. And I think if we do that, coming together in kind of a new way for this next season in our community is actually going to be important. So let's take advantage of it. Yes? That's my opening sermonette. I'm going to tell you later why I opened with this little sermonette about our new space, and it's worth it. We want to take advantage of it. But let me tell you a story first. Speaking of the new space that we are enjoying here on Sunday mornings. So we're now coming in, a team of people, staff, and whoever's available uh, has started coming in on Friday afternoons to begin the setup process because we have to transform this room from a computer lab into a uh, house of worship, I guess as you might call it. And when we did this two weeks ago, two Fridays ago, I remember showing up. I had lots of questions about how it was going to go. We were still, we're still now trying to figure it all out. And when I came up here two weeks ago, I remember being tense. I felt pretty tense, kind of stressed out about it all. Maybe a little bit overwhelmed walking into this room thinking, oh my gosh, what have we tackled here? 
You know, because in addition to shifting all the stuff in here in the room, I also have to worry about all this other stuff, this PA system we've installed. I've got projection. Is that working? And what about the lights? And what about all this cabling? And, you know, there's all this troubleshooting, and it's just a lot to kind of worry about. And so I was feeling kind of pressured, hoping everything would work out. I kind of had a lot of this stuff bubbling up. You know what happens when you've got a lot of these emotions, like, bubbling up in you? And you're hanging out with other people? You know what tends to happen? leaks out a little bit. <laughs> and uh, sometimes your stress and pressure and these emotions leak out and slip out onto other people. And, they, you know, I'll be honest with you, I was feeling short-tempered, I was feeling a little pushy, and um, generally not fun to be around. And you know how I found that out? Because I have friends who say, you're being short-tempered, pushy, and hard to be around. <laughs> And great team members who are going to have, uh, you know, those sorts of conversations. Uh, sad but true, I was in a little bit of that space. So what happens when that, you know, when that goes down in a relationship? You've got to go back and you've got to do a little bit of repair work and say, yeah, sorry about that. I was uh, not in great space. My emotional en- my engine of emotions was running hot, right? And so that, that happens. It's not pretty. But that's how friendships, that's how relationships work, right? Our emotions lead us to place, and sometimes we've got to deal with that. In this case, I had this kind of unacknowledged or unexpressed emotion, anxious, feeling stressed, overwhelmed. And you know, it takes a lot of energy if you want to like avoid emotion or you want to suppress emotion or mask that emotion. That takes some energy when we try to deal with feelings in that way. When we have feelings, we think, oh, maybe I shouldn't be feeling this way. But the truth is that unexpressed emotions don't really lose their charge. Just because you haven't maybe processed that, they don't really lose their charge. And those inhibited, not processed things tend to leak. Sometimes they maybe even burst open. I don't know. Can you, anybody relate to what I'm trying to put out here today? Yes? Maybe you yourself have been the leaker, or maybe you've been the other side of it where you're like in a situation and something's coming after you. Somebody else is leaking or bursting on you, and you go, wow, what is that all about? You know that feeling, right? So, not a, not a good thing, but it's part of, part of how it all works. So here's the question for today. Could that ever happen in our relationship and our feelings toward God? That's an interesting question. So this sermon series that we are on, have been on for the past few weeks, is entitled, How Do I Really Feel About God? This is actually a very interesting question when you think about it. Ponder this for a moment. And notice this word right here. This is good. How do I really feel about God? That's kind of a crucial part of the deal. And I think it's important because it's easy to fall into cliches or platitudes. You know, I love God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I love my neighbors myself. Ching! You know. Yeah, nice. That's all good. But really, though, how do I feel? And so we've been asking this question for a particular reason because our premise for all this is this beautiful thing that Jesus said to his disciples on the last night. He said this thing that we've been talking about where he says, I no longer call you servants. Instead, I now call you friends. It's a wonderful thing. We think he's instituting this profound shift right there about how we think about our relationship with God. 
That's, you know, servants, friends, those are kind of two different things. It's a very interesting way to look at things. I mean, if you think about the servant and master relationship, the truth is it doesn't really matter how a servant feels toward the master. The only thing that matters in that relationship is obedience. Do what you're told. It's like we used to teach our kids, obey without delay. And their therapy is almost over now, so it turned out fine. No, that's one sort of relationship. But friendships are a whole different kind of relationship. It's a different way of interacting. Now, feelings do matter in a relationship, in a friendship, because it's a heart connection. It's not just a matter of obedience. Right? So this question is actually a little bit unsettling. How do I really feel about God? Because what if I were, what if I found out I had some negative feelings? Well, so far in this sermon series, we've looked at two stories that Jesus told that illustrate just this point. So last week, Charles gave another great message, like he always does, and this one was about the parable of the meanest. And how many of you heard it last week or heard online? Okay, a lot of you heard it. Here's a quick review of the story that he spoke on. This story that Jesus tells about this master who entrusts uh, a number of his servants, each with a chunk of money, while he goes and leaves the country. Now, a couple of the servants put the money to work, and then they have this incredible return on their investment. Turns out really good. One of the guys, though, takes the money and kind of hoards it, buries it in the backyard, does nothing with it. Master shows up, and that guy gets scolded, and he's in trouble for not having done anything. So what was his mistake? His mistake in this story was that he was afraid. It says he was afraid of the master. So the the good old emotion of fear caused him to withdraw. And it says he had this feeling that the master was hard, the master was unfair. And these emotions that this servant had greatly affected his relationship and his actions. Make sense? And then the other story that we've been looking at is the classic story, the most famous story of all time, the the story of the prodigal son, which really is a story of a father and two sons, right? There's a father and the younger son rejects the father, takes his inheritance, heads off, you know, lives wildly and irresponsibly. But then he returns home and gets a hero's welcome. Meanwhile, the older son, who's been obedient and faithful, is full of resentment. He's full of hostility and anger towards his father. It's really quite a a lot of negative emotions come up in that story, if you think about it, in that framework. So it got me thinking, Jesus tells these intriguing parables, these stories, where the characters in them actually have tons of negative feelings toward the God figure. So the master or the father, those, those represent God in the stories. It's very clear. So that's kind of an interesting way to think about that. But as I ruminating on that, I realized, you know, this, the Bible is actually full, full of stories like this. But it gets you thinking, so is it possible that in Jesus, God himself shows up here on earth and essentially says, hey, Look, a lot of you are harboring some negative feelings towards me, so maybe we should work this out. I think that's pretty interesting. Interesting way to look at it. 
But like I said, the Bible's full of this sort of um, honest portrayals of people dealing with these struggles with God. A classic one that I want to look at is a story of Jonah. Jonah and the whale. I want to just take a look at this today. And let me just remind you the story. If you're not familiar with this from the Old Testament, Jonah is a prophet. And here's what happens. Jonah is directed by God. Very clearly, he is told by God, I want you to go into the city of Nineveh and call them to repent and call them to shape up because I'm getting mad at them. I'm going to do something. And so God says to Jonah, go. And Jonah says, no. God says, go. Jonah says, no. Right? So that's, that's what ends, that's what gets Jonah thrown into the belly of a whale. Right? The classic story. He's, he ends up in a fish, and at which point Jonah says, okay, I'll go. And that's basically how this thing starts. So here's what happens. He goes to Nineveh, smelling of fish, I suppose. And, he cha- and so he goes to Nineveh, preaches, goes to this corrupt city and says, you need to straighten out. Or else. And guess what? They do. They actually decide, whoa, message received. We should straighten out. So then what? God changes his mind and says, all right, then I'm going to ease up. No smiting for Nineveh. They've, they've repented. So here's Jonah's reaction to God changing his mind. Check this out. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You can hear the sarcasm. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Wow. That's an emotional response. I mean, I think that's kind of hilarious because he's saying, God, oh, what? Great going, God. Why do you have to be so loving and nice? Oh, compassion. I mean, he's really copying an attitude here. He's basically saying, now I look like an idiot because you're so kind. Kill me now. I mean, wow, right? Just kill me now. I, that's amazing. It's really an amazing thing. Can you imagine ever interacting that freely with God? Could I ever be free enough to get that mad at God, even if it's not rational? Could I ever express myself that honestly and directly with Him? So God's response here is interesting. Here's what it is. The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Now, that's actually interesting when you think about it. It's a question. God doesn't say, don't be angry. It's not what he's saying. And he doesn't say, you're being foolish. You shouldn't feel what you feel. That's not what God says. Just poses a question. And then he gives Jonah some alone time. Like, why don't you take a little time to think about this? That's the big response. And so here's what happens next. (laughs) Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. So he's still hoping for a little smiting action, I think. (laughs) Maybe. So, and the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head 
shading him from the sun, and this eased his discomfort. And Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But also God arranged for a worm. (laughs) Aha! The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. And then God said, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. And then God said to Jonah, The Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals, like beautiful little puppies. We heard about earlier. I love that he mentions the critters. God says, Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? That's it. That's the end of the book. It just finishes right there. I find that intriguing. There's a lot that could be said about this story, but I kind of just want to focus for a minute on these feelings, these emotions that come up. Jonah is running hot, right? He really reminds me of an adolescent teenager. I, I had a couple of these. Thank God they grew up. No, he's got quite an attitude towards God, and it's out there in the open. And I love what God does. He acknowledges his negative feelings. He, He lets Jonah stew a little bit. He doesn't smite him. There's no smiting, which is nice. I'm kind of anti smite. I'm not a big fan of the smiting. I don't want to be smited, and I don't want to smite anybody. So it's nice that that doesn't happen. God gives him space to process. God basically says, I get it. Think about what God's essentially saying here. God says, I get it. You have strong feelings about this, don't you? Well, guess what? So do I. That's what God says. That's kind of an amazing interaction if you think about it in those terms. At least it seems that way to me. I get it. You have a lot of strong feelings about this. But you know what? I do too. You know what that sounds like? It sounds like a relationship. It sounds like an actual relationship. Now, I've, I'm, I just turned 53 years old. Thank you. Or I accept your pity, whichever that was. <laughs> but in those years, I've learned a few things. Not the smartest guy in the world, but I learned a little about relationship. And this sounds like a relationship. Somebody's feeling this. Yeah, but I'm feeling this. And well, work it out. I find that very, very interesting. So in the story of Jonah, we get this picture. So what about negative feelings about God? Am I actually allowed to think this way? So back to the sermon topic. How do I really feel about God? Well, what if the answer is sometimes, to be honest, not that great? I mean, is that possible? I, I pulled this little tool out last week when I was thinking about all this. This is a little uh, circle of emotions. On here are listed 78 emotions. It's the wheel of feel. 
Now, this is not all the emotions, but there's a bunch. And sometimes it's interesting to look at this just to kind of get things going. And I looked at this wheel of feel. And without, you know, making anything personal at all or really just kind of just looking at these negative emotions, I thought, let me just jot down words on this wheel that could be at some time perhaps associated with faith. Here's the list that I came up with from this. Associated with faith. Distant, confused, insignificant, inadequate, hurt, apathetic, ashamed, remorseful, undeserving, skeptical, discouraged, insecure, angry, bored, inferior, guilty, indebted, frustrated. Do you agree with me that, yes, sometimes these emotions could be attached to faith in one way or another? You buy that idea? I think so. But the truth was, it was a little little jarring for me to realize, you know, that at one time or another, I've probably felt all of these towards Jesus, who I love. And it's a weird thing to admit. Weirder still that I'm a pastor. You know, I get it. It's a strange thing to own up to. Well, we all have different levels of sensitivities, or let's say comfort levels with darker, more negative emotions, right? Everyone's wired differently in that regard. Some of us are actually more uh, accustomed to it or handle it a little bit more easily than other people, negative emotions. To be, to be perfectly honest with you, I'm not good at it. I'm not personally that great at handling, let's say, other people's negative emotions. It's, it stresses me out. Uh, for example, when my wife feels the need to like really let loose and experience some negative stuff. Let's just say it's about someone else and not me. That's a whole different thing. Let's say she's just got a vent. And I know you're thinking, Sarah? It's like, trust me, Sarah vents. I mean, she drinks and swears like a sailor. Can I just say that? Okay, we'll clip that part out of the, the, the recording. Okay, that part's not true. But certainly, <laughs> certainly she will vent. And when, when she vents or other friends vent, the truth is I get uptight. Personally, I start to go, oh, I get nervous and I, and I actually try to clamp down or, you know, it's like, uh, I, I don't do very good with it. It makes me uncomfortable when other people express negative emotions and I try to like, um, that's just how I'm wired. And the truth is, if I'm honest with you guys, and I don't know why I should be, but I am, um, I'm not that much better at it myself when it comes to expressing my own feelings. It doesn't actually come that naturally to me. So this notion of getting mad at God is pretty weird. I mean, telling God, I mean, I could barely tell my parents, you know, I was unhappy, let alone God. And, you know, speaking of that, it's probably worth mentioning in our backgrounds, right? Our family history has a lot to do with this. should consider this. You know, my mom, God rest her soul, she was not a person who could handle negative emotions or hear it. That's just, it was not in her set of, you know, just not able to do that. So what that meant as a kid growing up is I just had to avoid those altogether or, you know, process those negative feelings elsewhere or not. But it obviously had a big effect. So what I'm saying is, depending on our background, it can feel tough to own up to these darker emotions. And then to express stuff like that to God, you know, I don't want to be irreverent or disrespectful. 
right? So that kind of factors in. I don't want to get smited. I've mentioned that before. But here's the thing. Maybe the most reverent and the most respectful thing I could do in my relationship with God is to be honest about all of my feelings, even the negative ones. Maybe that's actually a way of being reverent and respectful. So um, in the story of the prodigal son, or the two sons, Charles made an interesting suggestion. He said, um, you know, what if what happens with people is kind of like this older son who is stuck between the pigsty and the feast? Right? Remember that if you were around. In other words, he didn't go off the rails like the older son and, you know, self-destruct. But he was also outside of the feast and was not really having a dynamic spiritual life either. Kind of stuck in this gray ground in between. I thought that was a very interesting point. And it got me thinking, is it possible that I get stuck there because I haven't really processed negative emotions toward God? Now, most of me is moving toward God, but sometimes there's this undercurrent that's going in the other direction. And so, is there a chance that we might have unacknowledged negative feelings that are affecting our relationship with God? And how might it benefit us to openly just acknowledge our truest feelings? Well, that leads into suggestion number one. We always try to give you some practical suggestions, and you can probably anticipate this one. My first suggestion today is to give yourself, give ourselves freedom to feel emotions, negative emotions, even negative emotions towards God. Give ourselves the freedom. That's big. When you think about negative feelings and emotions, here's a couple things we can do. You ready for this? We can avoid... I have hand motions. We can avoid, we can suppress, or we can mask. (laughs) Try it with me. We can avoid, (laughs) suppress, or mask. That's kind of fun. That is more fun than I anticipated. Um, It's true, though. And here's the thing with each of those. it's, It's not... Invalid responses, but they take a lot of energy. It takes a lot of energy to avoid, to suppress, to mask, and it all kind of leads to crazyville, which is the downside. Or the other option is to acknowledge. I didn't come up with hand motions for this one. Let's see. Acknowledge, to own, to process. Yeah, that's pretty good. To acknowledge, to own, to process. Right? To not judge ourselves. Here's, let me get very, very practical. What if you were to write a letter to God? It's just between you and him. And you wrote a letter and you said, Dear God, I don't know, uh, I haven't really thought about this before. I haven't brought this up before with you. As if you don't know. But let me just say, I feel blank about blank. That would be an interesting thing. God, if I'm truly honest, I feel this way about this. 
what would you write? If we turn this into a little assignment right now, and thought, oh, yeah, I could, I could find some. Yeah, I would say this. I feel this way about. It might be something to consider. So here's the next suggestion, though, is to ask, why do I feel this way? Why am I feeling this way? You know, if the first step is getting comfortable to articulate what I'm feeling, then the second question, the second one, is to say, why do I feel this way? Now, again, everyone's wired differently. Some of us are actually better at expressing our emotions outwardly than we are at understanding why we have them in the first place. It's just different things. But it's the real work and the real payoff comes when you ask this question, why do I have these feelings? What do they reveal about what's going on in my heart, my life? These are not easy questions to answer. And a lot of times we need help with those. Somebody outside to kind of process this. But questions like this are really an engine for growth. I believe this. I've experienced this. I don't know if you remember, Sarah made a point a couple of weeks ago when she spoke on this sermon series. And she said there are, there are like kind of two approaches to faith you can have. And they're very different. You can use God to help you feel better, which is fine. Or you can also use your feelings to help you connect better to God. That's two different things. I can use God to help me feel better, or I can use my feelings to help me connect better to God. I think that's, that's quite interesting. It does take some work. But it's an interesting way to approach things, and I think uh, perhaps a, a healthier way. So I was thinking about the story I told you on the front end of the, the sermon here about my negative emotions that came out um, toward myself and toward the, my team and all that when we were setting up this 13th floor two weeks ago. And I realized I had internalized all this stress and this pressure about this move, right? This shift we're all making and, and felt burdened. I felt responsible for how it goes and and what happened was, I think I wasn't just feeling these things, these emotions. These emotions were fueling me. And there's a difference, I realized. It's like, okay, I'm feeling stressed, and, blah, and it all made sense. But what happened was, some, I clicked into, they're not, I'm not just feeling this. These are fueling me. Feeling versus fueling. And as I was fueled by those things, that's when things went off the rail. So I thought about it, and I said, why, this is after the fact, why did I, why was I kind of bent out of shape on all this. Well, I think if I were honest, I wasn't really trusting God in this work, that God's in control, that God's involved. Uh, you know, my desire to be responsible and diligent and take on the burden that's required. It's like it turned dark a little bit because I wasn't really in my gut trusting that God is involved. So really, you know, that I started out with this whole little, like, why this move up here to the 13th floor matters? That was me preaching to myself. And I just used you as a backdrop to do it. I was like reminding myself, this is why we're doing this. This is God at work. It's doing something good in my heart. It's good in our hearts. And I believe it. Um, but it, it, caught, it had to do some introspection, I think, and, and probably still more to be done. Here's my last suggestion. Soak in the safety and security in Jesus. 
soak in the safety and the security of Jesus. What if? What if we felt completely confident and completely assured of our relationship with God? I mean, what if that's just how it really felt? What if we felt um, invulnerable and just totally protected, safe and secure in the, in the shelter of God's grace? And we just felt at peace in that sanctuary, God's love. That would be good. That would be a nice way to approach life. Because not only would it help us have the freedom to appropriately process emotions, but the truth is, if we were living from a place of safety and security, then our whole life would be more stable be more generous, it would be more open-hearted, it would be less defensive, it would be less reactionary. It'd just be better. It would be a better, happier way to live life. Even when the emotions are roiling, it'd be amazing to think, I am safe and secure. That's the basic starting point. The great gift of faith is this sense of safety and security from a God who knows you completely and loves you perfectly. That's good. That's the great gift of faith. And when we think about this older son, to wrap this all up, this, um, back to this prodigal son story, the story of the older brother who expresses some pretty deep feelings against the uh, father figure in the story. Kind of like Jonah did with God. Here's, what, here's the way this story wraps up. Let's remind ourselves of this. The older brother was angry, and he wouldn't go in to the party that father was throwing. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. He's expressing here some frustration, some anger, some, uh, a sense of injustice, right? He's unloading some pent-up hostility there. Years worth of, of resentment. It's an all-around pretty negative attitude. And some pretty dark feelings. So how does the father in the story respond to him? My dear son, my dear son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the father comes out to his son, his disgruntled child, and he says, let me remind you of what is true. Let me remind you of what's always been true. Let me remind you of what's always going to be true. Past, present, future. Everything I have is yours. You are always with me. You will always be with me. Everything I have will always be yours. You are my dear child. 
What a line. So, so what if God were to speak that to us personally, individually, in a way that you could hear it? What if each of our hearts were able to receive that? My dear, beloved child, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. What if we just soaked in that? I would like to invite you to close your eyes for just a moment. Just relax. And let's, let's do it. Let's imagine that happening. Whatever feelings we have, the Father comes out and He looks you. He grabs you by the shoulders, holds your chin, looks you in the eye. He says that to you personally. My dear, dear, beloved child, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. Just let it sink in, soak in for just a moment. God, we really want to be people who are operating everything we do from a sense of safety and security and of confidence knowing that you love us. You love us when we're at our worst. It doesn't change a thing. Lord, would you help us learn how to be free enough to process our own emotions to acknowledge them to you we need help to be free some of us do and we also need help to understand the deeper thing of why do we feel these things I know you can lead us and teach us in that Uh, but above all again Lord that we would be people feeling safe and secure and that every move we make in our lives would come from that place Thank you, God.